Good morning, church family. We're going to be continuing our study in John chapter 13. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 846. You can also follow along on the other of the screens. So John chapter 13, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 30. This section is entitled, Jesus Washes the Disciples' Feet. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me, sorry, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is the word of God. 
Well, good morning. Uh, the last time I preached a few weeks ago, I talked to you about how uh, Milan houses some of the remains of the wise men, supposedly anyway. Uh, and, and today I'm going to talk to you, uh, or show you another little treasure. Golly, I did it again, didn't I? Before we get to that treasure. Uh, <laughs> The ESL folks, if you want to head out, Jason is there. I think the, the kids also, four and the kindergarten, can go with Kira or whoever. And uh, sorry about that. I'm just, I'm just ready. I don't, I don't know. I just want to jump in it. But anyway. Well, anyway. So Milan does ha- have another treasure that you have probably seen before because it's one of the more famous and well-known portraits uh, probably in the world, and it's the Last Supper. And I think we have an image of that there. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted that while he was living in Milan for a while, and it's actually found in a a dining hall of a convent of one of of the convents there uh, downtown Milan. But what's interesting for us this morning is that he captures the moment when Jesus reveals to the disciples that one of them is going to betray him. And so there's, there's just confusion, there's, there's disbelief, and you see uh, Judas off on the right side there, if you can see it, I don't know, but he's, he's clasping the money bag. Uh, the other disciples are kind of pointing the fingers, they don't, they don't know, and of course, uh, Peter is, is there uh, whispering into John's ear, like, just to, to ask Jesus, who, who is it? What's going on? I wonder how we might have responded to Jesus' words had we been there that night. One of you will betray me. And I wonder what our reaction might have been, not just because of this pronouncement that someone would betray him, but also because John records for us that Jesus had just washed their feet. I mean, this is a very confusing and shocking evening that is taking place here. I'm sure they're kind of wondering, what what on earth is going on? I mean, has Jesus just lost his mind completely? The verses that were read for us this morning contain two stories from the night of Passover. We have the washing of the feet and then we have the eating of the main meal. And so what I want to do with you this morning is just kind of walk through this passage and look at what is going on in these stories. And then we'll see if we can in some way tie the two stories together into one cohesive story. And what we're going to see is that this story calls us to serve like Jesus. But watch out because it's a lot more difficult than maybe what you realize. So let's look at Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And I actually asked Valerie to leave that up in case you're wondering. Just to kind of give you, maybe if you're a little ADHD or something, you can be <laughs> kind of looking at the picture, you know, maybe kind of trying to imagine the scene that night. But anyway, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And we find this in the first 20 verses of chapter 13. And in kind of in terms of the, of the setting of this story, we learn right off the bat 
in the first verse that the Passover has come. And so this is the feast that the Jews celebrated every year to celebrate how God had redeemed his people, that how he had liberated his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so they would, they would do this uh, feast, observe this feast every year to celebrate their deliverance and the redemption. And we also learn that Jesus knew that his hour had come. His hour had come. The whole reason that he had come to the earth to go to the cross, to offer salvation, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life, would be set free from the slavery and the bondage of sin and death. That hour had come. The mission would soon be complete, and he would return to his Father in heaven. So, why would Jesus wash their feet in this setting? What would motivate him and push him to do that? And in some ways, it's kind of a, a, maybe a normal motivation that, that we would kind of expect. I mean, it's, it's love. He loves his disciples. And we read at the end of verse 1, having loved his own who were, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He, he loved them to the, to the fullest extent. And he's about to show them the full extent of his love by going to the cross. But right now in this passage, we see his love and his willingness to wash their feet. The washing of feet is just a... A remarkable act of love. I mean, being served in and of itself is an act of love. I don't know when the last time you have just been served in, in a sacrificial way. But you knew right away, even if the person didn't say, I love you, you knew that they loved you because the act itself speaks of love. So... This act of love, though, we see, has a foundation. It is based on the concrete reality of who Jesus is. Look, look again at verses 3 through 5. I, I think these verses are pretty remarkable. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. Do you catch the flow there? Knowing and grasping the fact that he had been given all authority. And I, and I think that's what that means, that the Father had given all things into his hands. God the Father had given him all authority, and knowing this, and recognizing the fact that he had come from God, and, and he's going back to God, he got up and washed feet. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. He didn't use his, his knowledge of who he was as, as a way to lord it over them, to take advantage of them. 
or to, or to even think that he was just above such a lowly act. And we saw this last week in, in, in Michael Aiken's sermon from Philippians 2. Jesus didn't use his divine prerogative to take advantage of other people. He was humble. And we see here in John 13 that his humility flows from the confidence he had in knowing who he was. He was confident in who he was enough to not be bothered to be engaged in such a menial task that was reserved for servants. Have you you ever met anybody like that that just exudes such confidence in who they are? It's kind of remarkable. I mean, they're not worried about what people think or if they offend other people or not. And I'm talking about in the good way here, okay? I mean, we, we all know the people who exude confidence that really shouldn't exude confidence and are very arrogant in, in so doing. But when you find someone who just has a, a certain confidence, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's something that you notice, When someone truly understands who they are, they don't use their identity or position or status to domineer people, to manipulate people. Weak and insecure people do that. But Jesus, in humility, got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. He loved them. He knew exactly who he was. And he washed feet. But but here's where the utterly shocking side of the story comes out. Because in reality, the task of washing feet was something that was reserved for the lowest of the low of the servants. In fact, it's said that, that the Jews who had servants wouldn't even allow their Jewish servants to wash feet. They, that was something, a task they gave to the Gentile servants that they had. It was an act that was below the ordinary person, much less the Son of God. So we can understand a little bit of Peter's shock and outrage when he asked, Lord, do, do you wash my feet? And then kind of follows this up with a, with a declaration, you shall never wash my feet. And I think in the words of Peter there, there's a little bit of indignation. You're not going to do this. This is below you. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to stand by while you make yourself undignified. It's a pretty scandalous situation that's taking place here. I I was trying to think of an example that we might experience today to to help us to understand what is really going on. I mean, the gravity of the situation that's going on here. And I'll be honest, I I couldn't think of one. I mean, I, I think perhaps as a testament to Christian influence, at least in the West, that a leader or someone of of high stature serving other people isn't quite so scandalous. At least we don't get mad about it. Now, we might not expect it. 
grant you. I mean, we don't expect the CEO to go around and bring coffee to his, to his employees necessarily. But it's not so scandalous. At any rate, what we have here in the, in the washing of the disciples' feet is challenging cultural norms. But Jesus, motivated by love and knowing exactly who he is, does it anyway. He does it anyway. And so we might ask at this point, what, what, what is the point of Jesus washing the feet? What, what, what's he trying to communicate to the disciples? I mean, because we know that Jesus sometimes just always had something up his sleeve, you know, in, in, in a good way. And sure enough, there is something he's trying to communicate here. And actually, I think there's two things he's trying to communicate. One, he communicates in kind of an indirect way, and one in a direct way. And the indirect way reveals the symbolism of the washing of the feet that's, that, that's here. It's, it's purification. It's symbolizing purification. Jesus, in washing the disciples' feet, is pointing to the purification that is going to come by the washing of his blood through the cross. And we get hints of this in verse 7. You know, after Peter asked, Lord, do you wash my feet? In verse 7, Jesus answered him, what I'm doing to you, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. At this point, the disciples don't know what's going to happen, but when it does, when the cross and the resurrection does happen, he assures them that they're going to look back on this and go, ah, I get it. But Peter, being Peter, still protests and says that Jesus is not going to wash his feet. And then Jesus responds to him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, now Peter's all in. And in verse 9 he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But, but, but listen to the curious response that Jesus gives. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, The, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. you. You are clean. You are pure. You are free from defect. So, so what is Jesus doing when, when he washes the disciples' feet? Well, he is at least preparing them for what the cross and the resurrection are all about. His death will bring about their purification. His, his death brings about our purification. But what else is Jesus trying to teach the disciples? Well, he directly answers the question as the evening progresses. And, and the answer is simply that if he, as their Lord and teacher, can do something like wash feet, then the disciples, that, that is, his servants and his students, should follow his example. We need to be like Jesus and serve others. Serve like Jesus. Now, interestingly, 
Luke's version of the Last Supper scene, while it, while it does not include the, the foot washing uh, part of it, it does include the, the dispute that the disciples had amongst themselves about who is the greatest. They, they started arguing about who, who the greatest really is. So perhaps, we don't know for sure, but perhaps in response to that argument, Jesus washes their feet and shows them that the greatest is not the one getting his feet washed, but the one who is washing the feet. We must humble ourselves and become servants. We are not greater at all in any stretch of the imagination than our Lord and our teacher. We must serve like Jesus. So so that's the story, if you will, of, of the washing of the feet. So let's, let's keep going and look for a minute um, towards the end of the Passover meal when they are still eating and drinking. And we find this in verses 21 through 30. And we see that there is, there is a betrayer afoot. And Jesus makes it explicit. One of the twelve will betray him. Look again at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. This is not easy news. The knowledge that one of his own would betray him weighs heavy on his heart. Have have you ever faced the pain of being betrayed by a trusted friend? It's not easy. I, I remember back in seventh grade, I, I had some good friends. We were really, it was, it was the year that I had really turned my life over to the Lord and found some fellow Christians. And we were, we were trying to serve the Lord, trying to witness to our friends. And something happened. I don't, I don't, to this day, I don't know exactly what happened. But halfway through the year, um, they kind of they kind of turned away, turned away from the Lord more than anything. But in turning away from the Lord, they turned away from me and they abandoned me. And instead of being my friend, now they were making fun of me. And so I, I can remember just sitting at the uh, at the lunch sometimes, just utterly by myself. It was it was not a pleasant situation. It was not a happy place at all. It was hard. It's not easy being betrayed. And while the news is, is heavy on his heart, it's, it's shocking to the disciples. They, they seem to have had absolutely no clue. And they begin to chatter with one another, trying to figure out who it, who it was. Him? You? Me? Who is it? And finally, Peter Motions for John to, to ask Jesus since he was beside him. And as was the custom, and, and especially for a, for a special meal like the Passover meal, they were reclined at the table. That just seems a little odd for us today, but they were, they were reclined, laying down, probably propped up with their left elbow. And John was, was right next to Jesus. So John whispers, Lord, Lord, who, who is it? 
Who is it? And Jesus responds to him in verse 26. It is the one to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. We might kind of miss it, but this also is another act of love on the part of Jesus. Because apparently during this time, when when you would come to a, a meal and the host personally serves you something, it was a way of showing their appreciation for you. It was a way of honoring you in some way. So can you imagine being Judas in that moment and looking into the eyes of Jesus full of compassion, full of love, and taking that bread? Can you imagine being Jesus in that moment? Extending your hand looking your betrayer in the eye and offering one final act of kindness. Knowing that it's going to be rejected. Knowing he's going to get up, walk out the door, and betray him. Then we read, verse 27, that Satan entered Judas. And so Jesus instructs Judas to go and do what he had to go do, do it quickly. The hour had indeed come. It's here. And of course, this we read it brings more confusion. The, the disciples are trying to figure out, well, now, why is Judas running out the door? Is he, is he going to you know, give some money to, to the poor? Has he got to get some, some provisions? What, what's going on? And John apparently is the only one that really knows what's going on, but I would imagine he's just in such utter shock at what he's witnessing here that he doesn't know what to say. And he's just kind of overcome with, with silence. And one last detail John tells us that it was night. It was night. Literally, it was night. But figuratively, we see that the darkness of sin was on full display. The Son of God was about to be handed over to sinners by betrayal. Betrayal is a pretty nasty sin. It's pretty low. It's harsh. So, can, can, we, can we tie these two stories together? On the one hand, you got the washing of the feet taking place, and then, then we have this, this, the, the, the end of the Last Supper taking place. And, and I have to be honest with you, when, when I saw on the schedule that I was going to have to uh, preach from, from, from these passages, I kind of wondered why. <laughs> I, I thought they should be separated in, in, in two different sermons. But then a curious thing happened. I read the passage. <laughs> uh, I read it slowly. I read it with attention. 
And I admit that the story of, of the washing of the feet was, for me, just that. I mean, I, I, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and we need to serve like him. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that for me, it was a story that I knew, but I didn't really know that well. But after reading it and rereading it, I, I came to realize that these aren't two stories. <laughs> this is actually one story. And the main theme of this story is Judas' betrayal. I mean, notice that in the second part of this story, when they're eating the Passover meal, Jesus does not institute what we now call the Lord's Supper. He does that in the other Gospels. I mean, the, the other Gospels re record that and remember that, but John doesn't here. I mean, Jesus never takes the bread and says, you know, this is my body that's broken for you. He, he doesn't take the cup and say, this is my blood that is shed for you. It's, it, it represents the new covenant. For whatever reason, John leaves that part of the story out. And instead, he wants us to focus on the betrayal. And so, what becomes immediately apparent is that Jesus washed the feet of Judas. He washed the feet of his betrayer. So we can't just stop with, be a servant like Jesus. You know, he, he washed people's feet. We do too. I mean, serving others can be hard, don't get me wrong. I mean, be, being a servant can, can call us to, uh, to do things that we don't want to do or, or even to do it typically at the most inconvenient of times, right? Uh, and, and in this case, who wants to wash feet anyway? I mean, who wants to wash stinky, dirty feet? Uh, this past summer, my daughter went on a mission trip, to, on a medical mission trip to Zambia. And one of the things they had to do was, was wash feet. And so she was telling me that. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm glad it was you and not me. It's <laughs> not the kind of mission trip I really want to go for on, to be honest with you. And yet here I am preaching this passage. So I guess the joke is on me. But in this story, there's more. There's more than just simply serving others. In this story, we are called to serve even those who do us wrong, even those who would betray us. Notice how many times Judas is referred to in the foot-washing part of the story. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, okay, and then the it continues, but already at the beginning of the story, we see that Judas was well on his way to betraying Jesus. Satan had planted the seed of betrayal deep in his heart. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Notice that Jesus already knew it. It's no surprise. And in fact, we actually know that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him way back at the beginning of his ministry. It was never a surprise for Jesus. 
So can you imagine the last three years, all the time that was spent with Judas, just pouring his life into Judas, all those acts of kindness that Jesus showed to Judas, all the while knowing what the end would be? Jesus washed his feet. And then one more time in verses 18 and 19 we read, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. That I am he. Jesus quotes Psalm 41 to let his disciples know that prophecy was being fulfilled. He wanted them to know before it happened so that when they look back to this night, they will remember what Jesus said and it will push them towards belief. I remember that's, that's in keeping with the whole point of John's gospel. I mean, John writes the things that he writes in order that we might believe. So in some way, this betrayal, John wants us to look at that and look to Jesus and believe. This betrayal has a role in the story, in our story of redemption. We are to believe. So, so three times in this foot-washing part of the story, Judas is referred to. So, so with that information, replay the foot-washing scene in your mind. What do you do if you're Jesus? What, what, what do you do when you get to the feet of Judas? I'm sure I know what I would do. <laughs> I mean, at the very minimum, there's going to be some very obvious nonverbal communication that I'm really not happy with you, buddy. I know what you're about to do. And I'm going to let you know that I know. Maybe I just halfway clean the feet. Maybe I just skip it completely. It's, oh, I, I didn't see you there, Judah. Sorry. But I don't know. But I do know that when I have to serve someone that, you know, I'm just not having a good relationship with at the moment, it's hard to serve them, isn't it? It's hard to serve them. I all of a sudden get busy. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm just kind of busy today. Can't, can't get over there. And we find some way to not serve. And yet Jesus washed his feet, washed them knowing that he was about to betray him. So we see how these two stories are actually tied together in one story that calls us to serve like Jesus. Not just do things that might be a little uh, off-putting like wash feet, but doing things that are truly difficult, that are extremely difficult uncomfortable, that are downright unpleasant. 
And I'm not talking about the physical difficulty of it all. But the difficulty of serving someone when every fiber of your being is rebelling against you serving that person. I'll serve anybody but him. Not him. Not her. Jesus calls us to serve that person. Jesus says, "I, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Now, let me make a little parenthetical statement here because some of you may be in situations that you're thinking, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, you don't understand what I'm going through. And you know what? That might be true. That might be true. So please take what I'm saying. I'm talking about just this normal, when I get upset with somebody, you know, some of you, who are maybe being abused by someone or just in really terrible situations. Yeah, that that needs to be rethought. Wisdom has to prevail here. Okay? So don't don't feel the guilt of doing something like that. And if you would like to talk about that, we'd be happy to talk. We have lots of resources in the church for those situations. But, but anyway, what, I think what we're talking about here, at least in this passage, is those situations that we typically just kind of, eh, I'm justified. I'm just going to walk away when we're really not, we're really not justified. So, so how, how? How do we serve? How can we serve like our master? Maybe we just need to start by putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations. Even serving those who would seek our demise. Maybe instead of thinking about how I can get even or communicate to someone what they've done wrong to me, maybe we proactively try to find some way to serve. We also need to make sure that we're rooting our service in love. Our love for God should spur us to love others, even those who are difficult to love. Serving gives us an opportunity to show that love. But all of this flows from the fundamental change that happens in us when we come to faith in Jesus. As we said, the the washing of the feet points us to the purification to come on the cross. In Christ, our sins have been forgiven. Change has taken place in our life. And because we serve the one who has all authority, who came from the Father, who's going back to the Father, because we serve the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, we are able to serve. We are empowered to serve like him see our pride is corrected when we realize that we really are no better than judas and yet jesus has saved us redeemed us he calls us friend and brother serving like jesus as difficult and uncomfortable and unpleasant as it might be is possible because of what jesus has done for us and what he is doing in us.
to make us more like him every day. And so that brings us to the table this morning. While in John's gospel, Jesus didn't institute what we call the Lord's Supper, we know from the other gospels that on that night when he washed Jesus' feet, he took the bread and said that this was his body that was going to be broken for them. And then he took the cup and he identified it with the blood he was about to shed, saying that it represents the new covenant that he is establishing between man and God. This supper reminds us that what Jesus did on the cross purifies us and brings us into a right relationship with the holy God. So as we take the bread and as we drink the cup, let's, let's remember that on that night 2,000 years ago, our Savior showed unbelievable and an unbelievable amount of kindness and love when he served the disciples by washing their feet, including the very one who would betray him. And so I invite the worship team to, to come to this uh, stage. And those who are serving this morning, who are going to be serving communion, could, could please come as well. And this morning, this meal is for, for anyone who is trusting in Christ. And if, and if you're not doing that, we would ask you to not come forward, but rather to use the time to pray and think about who Jesus is and, and how you relate to him. Re reflect on his kindness, the kindness that he extends to you today. He, he wants to wash you and make you pure. And so as the worship team leads us. When you feel ready, you can come down the center aisle and, and take the, the cup and the bread and then return to your seat, but wait on everyone to be served before we partake so that we can partake together.